Welcome back to Psychic Crime. I'm your host, Nicole Mann. And once again, like always, I want to thank you for listening. I appreciate all your love and support. I apologize for the late upload this week. Um, had some PC issues, but also um, I did get the merchandise line launched with Designed by Humans. Um, and we did have some snafus. Some of the designs weren't quite up to their standard for the quality that they needed in order to be able to transfer them to some of the different types of merchandise, whether they be t-shirts or cell phone cases or what have you. So yes, the shop is live. That shop is designedbyhumans.com forward slash shop forward slash crime scandal. Right now we have the psych your crime design and you can put that on a t-shirt you can put that on a hoodie you can put that on for women a sweater you can put that on a cell phone case you can put that on a sticker on a mouse pad um like i said we are i am retooling the other designs i should have uh two more three more of them fixed uh by the 16th and by Black Friday, I'm hoping to have at least three more, including an ugly Christmas sweater based on the Santa has a flamethrower and a grudge episode back up to the standards of design by human. And yes, they have international shipping. I see you, Australia, New Zealand, Ireland, UK, Serbia, all of you international listeners, Tokyo, please excuse me if I'm missing you. I know that you are all over the world and it's specifically why I wanted to partner with Design by Humans. I wanted to make sure that all of my listeners from around the world were able to show their love and get the merchandise. So like I said, the store is live. I'm just working on tweaking some of these designs so that I can make sure that they're up to the standard of graphic that Designed by Human needs to be able to give you quality merchandise. I'm a podcaster, I'm a creative person, but not really a graphic designer. So I'm switching over to a little a different uh, drafting software uh, to be able to better accommodate them. So just bear with me. You can drop by. Um, they have other stuff in there as well, but I will keep you guys updated on that. I've also been working on American Crime Notes on a Scandal, trying to get that out in time, which is going to be the 15th of November. So it's just been really busy, not neglecting you guys over here in Psych My Crime. Um, I'm just a lot of plates in the air, so to speak. So uh, this week, we are looking at the story of Killdozer. Now, Killdozer happened in my home state of Colorado. Um, I was really shocked when I heard about this because I didn't know about it when it happened. I found out about it in the documentary that happened on Netflix. And when I went to do the research, I was really disturbed because there was a lot of mis I wouldn't say misinformation, but a lot of people wanted to make Marvin um, into a folk hero, um, Marvin Hamer into a folk hero. They like the fact that he stood up for his rights, but in the process of casting him as the hero of the story, they left out whole parts of what actually happened. And 
that is really biased and it doesn't really paint a true picture of what was going on. So in this case, we are looking at persecutory delusions. When someone experiences persecutory delusions, they believe a person or a group wants to hurt them. They firmly believe this is true despite the lack of proof. Persecutory delusions are a form of paranoia. They're often seen in schizophrenia or other mental illnesses like schizoaffective disorder or post-traumatic stress. The main symptoms of persecutory delusions are that a person believes that others intend to harm them or that they're being accused of doing horrible things that they never do. The belief is based on bizarre or irrational reasonings and they affect how a person behaves and thinks. Persecutory delusions may cause symptoms like feeling ordinary sensations, fearing ordinary sensations, feeling threatened without reason, frequently reporting to the authorities, extreme distress, excessive worry, constantly seeking safety. If their delusions are disputed, the person may further explain the belief with more unrealistic reasoning. If a person has persecutory delusions, they may say things like, my coworkers are hacking my emails and trying to get me fired. The neighbors are planning to steal my car. People walking outside are putting thoughts in my head. The mailman is spying on me and wants to hurt me. The airplane above us is the government trying to kidnap me. Everyone believes that I want to hurt them. The person will say these things as if they are facts. They may also use vague terms and always seem agitated or suspicious. Though paranoia and persecutory delusions are related, they are technically different thought processes. In paranoia, a person feels overly doubtful and fearful of, or, of others. These feelings are intense and they make it difficult to trust people. Persecutory delusions occur when paranoia becomes extreme. A person's paranoid feelings become fixed beliefs, even when they're presented with opposing evidence. Please note that at no point did Marvin ever acknowledge having been diagnosed with anything other than depression and nothing any bigger than like PTSD or schizophrenia. Now, Marvin Hamer was born on October 28, 1951 in South Dakota, and he lived in Grand Lake, Colorado, which is about 16 miles away from Granby, which is the town in which this happened. According to a neighbor, Hamer moved to town about 10 years before this incident, which is in 1994. His friend stated that he didn't have any relatives in the area. Now, in the early 1990s, Hamer moved to Grand Lake and bought a few acres of land for $42,000. He opened his own muffler repair shop. He was widely regarded as a fairly jovial blue-collar guy, working on the land he bought to make a living with his own two hands, and people in rural, as people in rural Colorado tend to do. That is, until he ran into a zoning dispute. Now, there's something that I want to make people understand who maybe don't live in rural plain communities. So, Granby, like I said, I grew up in Colorado. When I heard about this story, I contacted my sister and I'm like, what the hell? How did you not tell me that this happened? Like, how did I not know about this? And she even was like, wait, what? I didn't know about this. I'm like, but you still live there. How could you not know this and she's like i don't know and i called my mother and my mom's like oh yeah that like like it was no big deal like it was just nothing and stuff like this is making me think that colorado man is gonna overtake florida man very soon we may have to revisit that as a topic 
on the live dumber than a sack of hair but um in the plains state in colorado the plains take up the majority of colorado and grand b is in the plains right before they start to turn into the mountains and in many of the plains communities people do not have sewage access in their businesses i remember growing up my my mother grew up in a town called lyman lyman has a population of slightly under 2,000 people. It's a small town. Um, and I remember going to visit my grandparents. My grandfather was a teacher and a coach, very respected person in the town. And I would go to visit all the time and we would go to run errands. And it was not uncommon for them to say, you can't go to the bathroom until we go to the grocery store or I was with my grandfather until we went to Arby's for lunch or until you go home. Just there was, you just, and it never occurred to me as a child that none of the other businesses had toilets because they didn't have access to sewage. It was just not something that registers in a kid's brain. So until this story came up, it just never dawned on me. I mean, I knew as an adult, that many businesses didn't have sewage access, but it just never dawned on me. That's why as a kid, I couldn't pee when I was out with my grandparents in town because most businesses just didn't have access because when you're in the plain areas, the main access lines for the sewage access only run in certain places. And it can cost tens of thousands of dollars to lay an access line from your business to the main sewage line. So the bottom line is many small businesses in these small towns just can't afford it. It, it just doesn't make sense for them to pay tens of thousands of dollars when they may only turn, say, a $5,000 profit for the year. It's just not sustainable. It's not affordable for them to do something like that. And that's why they just don't have access to sewage and it's not required in these smaller towns to have bathrooms for their customers. It's not part of the zoning laws. So he ran this business for 10 years on a two acre patch of land that he initially purchased um, until um, the patch of the land behind him, uh, someone put in plans to build a massive concrete plant that was just at the edge of the property behind him. Now, the plan became a serious issue because it was gonna block access to the access to the road to his business. Not just his business, but other businesses around his. Now, this is the part where things start to get differing accounts. So the people who want him to be painted as a hero, they make it sound like it was a straight shot, and they just passed it through. That's not what happened. Many people in the town actually agreed with him and the fact that the plant was going to block access to other businesses in the area. The other issue he brought up was the amount of dust it was going to create and that it could cause problems for not just businesses, but people who lived in the area. Now, the man who had put the proposal in, he wasn't just some heartless big business bureaucrat. He actually took these things into consideration. He actually withdrew the initial plan that he submitted and made some tweaks to it. He tried to create a concession. He created an, a throughway. He put access in there so that the other businesses didn't get cut off 
and he did made some adjustments so that he could ease the concerns of the people within the community. However, none of this was enough for Marvin. So after he made those concessions and the people within the community no longer were joining Marvin in his protestations about the plant, they went ahead and they passed it. So of course, Marvin is going to appeal. Now, here's the part where Marvin did probably get a little screwed over. You have to understand that for 10 years, Marvin has been running his business. And for all these 10 years, he did not have a sewage line laid from his business to the main line. The reason Marvin chose not to put a sewage line in is because when he got an estimate, he was told it would cost him $80,000 to lay a line from his business to the main sewage line. In the, there was a line item in the proposal stating all commercial businesses had to have a sewage line, had to have sewage access. What makes this incredibly difficult for him and kind of a slap in the face is that in order to get sewage access, he's gonna have to go into the property of the concrete plant. So when he obviously, like I said, he files an appeal, his appeal states that it would block access to his business. He's denied. Now, soon after that though, he's hit with several fines. The fines come to $25,000. They for a lot of different things, junk cars on the property, but biggest of which was not being hooked up to main sewage line. Now, like I said, that's really pretty awful uh, because he has not had sewage access to his business for 10 years. In order to get sewage access, he has to go into this man's property. But here's the issue, okay? He has gone to this man. The man has actually come to him, the man that owns the, the concrete plant. And he has said to him, look, I just want all this to stop. I, I, I want you to kind of withdraw your appeals. I want you to, to calm down with all of this. And I am willing to give you an easement for free. What an easement is, is when you allow someone to tap into your sewage line, or it could be a water line, a sewage line, whatever kind of utility line you have on your property that goes to the main line. And usually people charge someone for, for an easement. Um, he's saying, look, I'll give you an easement for free. So he's saying, I will let you tap my sewage line absolutely free of charge so that you will no longer get fined. Marvin basically says, screw off. And he does make a check out to town hall to pay his fines, but he writes it in such a manner that the check is uncashable. Basically trying to continue to screw with the people of town hall. So... It's not like people were not trying to work with him, which is why people painting him as this folk hero who took on big government is not right, okay? People did try and work with him and he threw things in their face. So he did set himself up to some extent because what happened is he ended up trapped on a two acre plot of land because of his lack of foresight and planning. Like, obviously he knew that 
there could be a sewage issue, but he also knew people could buy the plots around him and he would end up blocked in. And at one point before the zoning, before the planning commission made their, their decision about the zoning, he entered into an agreement with the company that owned the land for the concrete plant. They offered to pay him $250,000 for his acreage, allowing him a profit of 42, allowing him a nice profit because remember he only paid $42,000 for the land. So he would have made almost over $200,000 in profit. And he would have definitely been able to set up his shop somewhere else, but he backed out and he upped the price to $375,000. And based probably on the idea that they would have to give him the money. They would have no choice. And they agreed. But then he backed out again and he upped the amount again. And reports say that at one point he was demanding as much as a million dollars. And at that point, they were just like, screw it. We'll take our chances with the zoning committee and see what happens. And many suspect that's where the line item about the sewage came. It was kind of like a, a screw you to him for messing with them. Now, his the reason that he thought that the zoning um, that the zoning commission had it out for him. This is a town of roughly 2000 people in such a small town. It is not uncommon to have relatives serving on the same boards. And there were two brothers on the board. So this fueled his idea that these people are persecuting me. They must be, they're related. You know, they're working together, they're related, they're out to get me. And that is where he starts this idea that they're persecuting me, they have it out for me, they must, they're related. So after, at this point, um, when his final appeal is denied, he first tried to lease his business to a different company, which he did. And then he decided to go ahead and sell it to them. And the company was a garbage company who was looking for a place to house their garbage trucks. And so they ended up um, housing them in the buildings on the property. And then, like I said, he sold the property to them and he leased back one building from them. And that was the building where he eventually bunkered down to create what would become known as Killdozer. Now, once he sold the property, he actually went to an auction in California where he bought the bulldozer that he would use. And people were just really, they were just confused. They didn't understand. He owned a muffler shop. Why did he come back with this giant bulldozer? What is going on? Like people were coming around to look at it. They just did not understand. Um, now after his downward spiral became very evident after this, he made multiple rambling audio tapes. His girlfriend broke up with him after he became increasingly more and more isolated. It led for him to state on one tape and I quote, God meant for me to be alone so I can exact revenge against those who wronged me. Then there's the fact that he put all the money from the sale of his property into his father's name, his elderly father's name, uh, who then passed away shortly afterward. 
Uh, once again on the tapes, Marvin states that his father's passing is a sign that he needs to move forward and take revenge. Um, he goes on a holiday in South Dakota with his family and comes back to Colorado to take the bulldozer into the building that he leased on his former property and hunker down to start modifying it. Now, Hamer's bulldozer was a modified Kamatsu D355A, which he referred to as the MK tank in his audio recordings. He fitted it with makeshift armor plating over the cabin, engine, and parts of the tracks. In places, this armor was over a foot thick, consisting of 5,000 PSI. For those of you who don't know what that means, it means that it's like impenetrable. <laughs> it's not happening. You're not getting through it. Nothing you're going to do is get you there. It, it, it's not happening. You're just not getting in there. Quickrete concrete mixed sandwiched between sheets of tool steel, which he got from an automotive dealer to make ad hoc composite armor. This made the machine impervious to small arms fire and resistant to explosives. Three external explosions and more than 200 rounds of ammunition were fired at the killdozer and they had no effect on it. For visibility, the killdozer was fitted with several video cameras linked to two monitors mounted on the vehicle's dashboard. The cameras were protected on the outside by three inch shields of clear bulletproof Lexan. Compressed air nozzles were fitted to blow dust away from the video cameras. Onboard fans and an air conditioner were used to keep Marvin cool while driving. He had made three gun ports fitted for a 50 caliber rifle, a 308 semi-automatic rifle, and a 22 LR rifle, all fitted with a one half inch thick steel plate. Marvin apparently had no intention of leaving the cabin once he entered it. Authorities initially speculated that he may have used a homemade crane which they did find in that garage to lower an armor hole over the dozer and himself. Once he tipped that lid shut, he knew he was never going to get out, an investigator stated. Once investigators had searched the garage later, where they believed that he built the vehicle, they found the cement and the armor steel. I mean, it's interesting. Uh, Marvin stated, it is interesting to observe. I never was going to get caught. This is a part-time project that took me a year and a half. He was surprised that several men who had visited the shed the previous year had not noticed a modified bulldozer, especially with a 200 pound lift fully exposed. Somehow their vision was clouded, Marvin stated. So on one of his audio tapes, he basically is trolling people like right before he went out to do this he's trolling people because they didn't catch him and there were points where people were in that garage walking around and just didn't notice what was basically a tank just chilling out in the open like <laughs> did not find it weird <laughs> but then again i i don't know like I, it's a very colorado thing and and 
if you've never lived in Colorado, I was born and raised there, you wouldn't understand when I say it's a Colorado thing to not think it's weird for someone to have a tank in their garage. <laughs> like, I, I don't know how else to explain it. Like I grew up in a family of people who hunted, um, you know, I've, I've come home to visit and my dad's got a freezer full of bison meat and it's not weird at all. That's just how it is. Um, it's totally not unheard of for someone to be like, you know, yeah, I, you know, found, you know, to, I have a new boat and then you go to see the boat and it's like an old army boat that they bought at an auction. Like that's not abnormal in Colorado. So I don't, as funny as it is and it sounds, it wouldn't surprise me that somebody walked through this garage, saw a tank and was like, hmm, they have a tank. Like they, it, in their head, they may think it's a kit or something. Like as much as it sounds weird and unbelievable, it's a very Colorado thing for people to think it's totally normal for this dude to have a tank in his garage. I just don't know what to say, as bizarre as that sounds. On June 4th, 2004, Marvin drove his armored bulldozer through the wall of his former business and through the concrete plant, through the town hall, through the office of the local newspaper that editorialized against him, through the home of the mayor, uh, in which the mayor's, through the former, the, the former mayor, in which the widow was residing. The town hall, which was on the second floor of the library, during which, uh, this was in the summer, so school was out, there were children in the library. And they, um, at the time that he was coming for them. The home of the elderly mother of two of the, the two related commission members, and an electronics store owned by another man, Hamer, named in the lawsuit, which is often misquoted as a hardware store, it was an electronics store. Defenders of Hamer's contended that he made a point of not hurting anybody during his bulldozer rampage, which is bull, okay? He wasn't trying not to hurt people, okay? You don't go out with 50 caliber rifles planning not to hurt nobody. So that's, that's categorically incorrect. A bakery owner said uh, he was trying not to hurt people. Others have different views. The sheriff's department argued that the fact that no one was injured was not good intent, it was good luck. I agree. Hamer installed two rifles and firing ports inside the bulldozer. He fired 15 bullets from his rifle at power transformers and propane tanks. Like I said, he was trying to cause explosions. He was trying to do as much damage as possible. And when you cause explosions, you are going to do damage and hurt people. He was trying to hurt people. Had these tanks ruptured and exploded, anyone within a one half mile radius of the explosion would have been endangered. The sheriff's department said, 12 police officers and residents of a senior citizens complex were within such a range. He would have killed senior citizens without a second thought. 12 police officer, um, sorry, Marvin fired many bullets from his semi-automatic rifle at Cody Dishoff, and then when Dishoff tried to stop the assault on his concrete plant by using a wheel tractor scraper, which was pushed completely aside by Killdozer. Later, Marvin fired on two state patrol officers before they even got a shot off. They hadn't even fired on him, and he fired on them. 
but then but please continue with the narrative that he went out of his way not to hurt anybody he is not a folk hero okay he's not some wonderfully he's not some man who was maligned by the government okay he went out there to hurt people and do damage and it is the luck of god that he did not hurt anybody um and then the sheriff's department also noted that 11 of the 13 buildings that marvin bulldozed were occupied until seconds before their destruction at the town library like i stated a children's program was in progress when the incident began. And so they rushed those children out the back of the library onto the playground, the playground as he bulldozed through the library. So that tells you that this was not a person who's trying to avoid. He didn't care. He was not thinking about whether he hurt people or not. One officer dropped a flashbang grenade down the uh, Killdozer's exhaust pipe with no apparent effect. Local and state patrol, including a SWAT team, walked behind and beside the Killdozer, occasionally firing, but the armored Killdozer was impervious to their shots. Attempts to disable the Killdozer's cameras with gunfire failed as the bullets were unable to penetrate three-inch bulletproof plastic. At one point, under Sheriff Glenn Trainer climbed atop the killdozer and rode it like a bronco buster trying to figure out a way to get a bullet inside however he was forced to jump off to avoid being hit by the debris at this point local authorities and the colorado state patrol feared they were running out of options in terms of firepower and that marvin would soon turn against the civilians in the town of grandy Governor Bill Owens allegedly considered authorizing the National Guard to use an Apache helicopter equipped with Hellfire missiles or a two-man fire team equipped with a Javelin anti-tank missile to destroy the Killdozer. This was quickly deemed unnecessary when Marvin became trapped in the sub-basement of the electronics store. So what happened was, this was the last building that he attacked. He went to the store and he tried to take out the wall and his the track got stuck. He rode over this. What he didn't realize is he rode over the sub basement and he got stuck. And that was when he realized that it was over. As late as 2011, Governor Owen's staff still vehemently denied considering such a drastic course of action. But since then, members of the state patrol revealed that to the contrary, the governor did consider authoring such an attack, but decided against it to, due to the high potential for collateral damage of a missile strike in the heart of Granby, being significantly higher than what Marvin could have caused with his killdozer. Now, two pro problems arose as Marvin destroyed this electronic store. The radiator of the killdozer had been damaged and the engine was leaking tons of fluids of various kinds. And like I said, the sub-basement. The engine failed and he had dropped into the sub-basement on one side and could not get out. About a minute after that realization, one of the SWAT members who had swarmed around the machine heard a single gunshot from inside. It was later determined that Marvin had shot himself in the head with a 357 caliber handgun. Police first used explosives in an attempt to remove the steel plates, but after the third explosion failed, 
They cut through it with an oxycetylene cutting torch. Grand County Emergency Management Director Jim Hullahan stated the authorities were unable to access and remove his body at 2 a.m. on June 5th. Uh, that they were, I'm sorry, that they were able to access and remove his body at 2 a.m. on June 5th. On April 19th of 2005, the town announced plans to scrap the killdozer. The plan involved dispersing individual pieces to many scrapyards to prevent souvenir taking and people's ability to remake the killdozer. That was their major concern. They did not want anybody to remake anything like this at home. And there are actually many people in the town. Um, there was an excavation business in the town. Um, and they actually were really upset. They wanted it in one piece because they thought as messed up as it was and as much damage as it did to their town, they thought it was a great piece of engineering and they wanted to put it in a museum. But like I said, I think that it, it was uh, great on the part of the police to destroy it. Um, I think that it shows a great amount of foresight to make sure that no one can come in to a museum or to and no one could buy it at an auction and put it up on a website or put it in like a serial killer museum or something like that and people could take pictures and and like i said replicate it so in that aspect i really really um want to commend um law enforcement for destroying it and making sure that no one else could do this again because like i said it was by the grace of god that nobody got hurt in this process because they could have gotten seriously injured um so that is the story of killdozer um and like i said it's my home state of colorado um let me know um at geek flossy on instagram or on twitter if you are interested in um having me do a live where we do a head-to-head -head of Colorado man stories and Florida man stories and see if Colorado man is catching up with Florida man. Um, also, like I said, I'm working to get more of those designs up into the merch store so that you will have more than just your psych, your crime merch so um, we can share the love. But um, next, in two weeks, join me when we will listen to the story because you know thanksgiving's coming up we have to have a story about family it'll be the story of the worst sister wife auntie ever uh if you want to have money in your bank account if you want to stay alive you want to make sure that there is no way you are ever related to this woman so i hope you sleep better knowing the how and why people do such awful things.